0: It's Thursday, September 9th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Thank you, thank you. That was the sound of our guest ensemble, the St. Louis Aquarium Choir. Hello, dear friends. I'm Assistant Pastor Hurley Barflyer here at the One Way Light Church in Tipping Point, Washington. We are gathered in the Hello Kitty Sanctuary to give thanks for all we have taken from others and to take back the world where that can happen again. I now have the pleasure of bringing to the pulpit a man whose books and tapes have inspired us all. He's on a national megachurch tour promoting his new book, From Zero Sum to Dim Sum. Welcome, Cubby Vineline. Well, thank you, Hurley, and
1: thanks for the gift of my beautiful birth certificate necklace here. Mm -hmm. If only our so-called president would wear one around his neck, then we could all put away the terrible fear that he is the reincarnation of Saladin! the seed of Islam, risen from the tar sands of Araby to build a mosque upon the White House, turn us from west to east, from pork to lamb, from urban to turban. I look at my watch and ask myself, is it too late? I open the door on an empty future and wonder aloud, in this great struggle to regain our eternal prosperity and unquestioned dominance, need we fight alone? No. 1.3 billion pagans stand ready to join us in this glorious crusade. But, and this is the but we have to sit on and think this through, But we can't ask the hungry multitudes of the Middle Kingdom to sacrifice for us unless we are willing to sacrifice for them. We consume 25 times the resources they do, and while I think we definitely deserve it, we're going to have to cut back until together we own the world. See this bag. It's filled with egg rolls, sweet and sour pork, mooshu beef and orange chicken. Takeout. Taken from the very mouths that will join us in the mighty mission. I say to you, I say to you, no more takeout. No more takeout until we've taken our muscle cars back from the muscle men. No more Chinese food no. until all the Chinese have food. Please join me now. No more Chinese food till all Chinese have food. No more Chinese food till all Chinese have food. No more Chinese food till all
0: Chinese have food. No more no. Radio Free Oz is back on the air on the web on the everywhere. It being a Wednesday is time for us to take our great big global perspective and shrink it locally. And talk with our sheriff uh, Luther Axhandle, who's going to tell us what's been going on here on Whidbey Island from whence we are coming in. Kate.
1: Well, I'm certainly glad to be here. It is a Thursday, though, Mister. Excuse but, me, but, yeah, I, it's so we, hard, I, I only come on the Thursdays Never. because that's my day off, and right. I can get a little time to drive up here into the hills. My. Gosh, you're way up in the forest here. Anyway, uh, well, there's not too much to report. I got to say, um, on uh, this is uh, back to August 11th. I'm going to talk to you about yep. Going all the way back. Going yeah. all the way back because on that time, this may lead to something. Is what I'm saying. Uh, a loud metallic crashing sound was heard at a home on Freeland Avenue.
0: Ooh, aliens again! And and that? I think so. When we we looked, re- looked into that.
1: Returning before. to aliens here. Then the next day. A woman on Hodges Avenue said she went to take her pain medication and found the bottle was empty
0: now that that is aliens because it is very painful for them when they first arrive on this planet the the shock is amazing so uh, they'll take anything
1: you know? anything out of your medicine cabinet all right i didn't know that i'm gonna, I'm gonna tell my deputies though yeah okay well then a little later that day seven thirty-seven in the pm and a caller on wintergreen drive said a neighbor was giving his children a ride on his motorcycle but they were not wearing helmets whoa so that sheriff ran right out there ran over them actually yeah. they're right in the middle of the, uh, road the risky
0: lifestyle thing. so that's it huh uh
1: well no uh, next day uh, it was a friday and things uh. do happen on fridays too at two eleven p.m a woman who was upset about being arrested said she was gonna shoot herself as soon as she found a gun yeah well we kept her away from that i can tell you yeah. I was locked down you know and right after that at 307 a caller said her mother received a phone call from someone stating they were the police and were offering to give her a free burglar alarm. Uh She was also asked if she was the only one home. Uh When the woman offered to have him speak with her daughter, the police hung
0: right up yes they did yes sir.
1: scam going down there right the scamming on well a little later in the day uh, a man and a woman were arguing in front of a business on main street the man took the woman's phone and and they were screaming and according to the the report into our telephone number there uh, a swearing was involved oh so we spent the. <laughs> we don't have a swear squad you know they got that in iran i think they got your square squad swearing squad yeah they, they take you off the streets and cut your hair. Well, <clears throat> this didn't happen in Freeland, but I'll tell you, did you hear about Christopher J. Ward?
0: You mean the big GOP guy?
1: National Republican Congressional Committee treasurer. Yeah, all right, what? Uh-huh. He pleaded guilty on Friday to embezzling more than $840,000 from several political committees, including more than $670,000 from
0: the congressional committee that he was in charge of. You mean if he hadn't embezzled that money, they'd have had almost a billion dollars more to elect their candidates? Well, I'd like to give him a big round. <laughs> Let's cheer for Obama. that
1: man. Yeah, yeah, well, he's going to get three years in jail. So long, Mr. Bergman. It's been but, great talking oh to oh you. Oh, yeah, Sheriff.
0: General David Petraeus, the top U.S. commander of the Afghanistan war, said the planned burning of Korans by a Florida church could put American troops in danger. Yeah, think so, General? It could endanger troops and it could endanger the overall effort, Petraeus told the Wall Street Journal. It is precisely the kind of action the Taliban uses and could cause significant problems. Not just here, but everywhere in the world, we are engaged with the Islamic community. So think about how delicate this whole AFPAC situation is. If he says the burning of a few Qurans by a nutcase in Gainesville, Florida could not only endanger the troops, but the overall effort, man, we are skating on really thin ice in a country where there is no ice. Petraeus's comments came in the wake of anti-American protests in Kabul. Earlier, 500 demonstrators, including members of parliament and Muslim clerics, gathered outside the U.S. Embassy to condemn the International Burn-a-Koran Day, planned by the Dove World Outreach Center, a small church in Florida run by a corrupt wingnut. Protesters burned the church's pastor, Terry Jones, that's the aforementioned wingnut, in effigy and called for death to America. A similar protest, reportedly attracting thousands of Muslims, was held this week in Jakarta, Indonesia. This is supposed to be the world center of moderate uh, Islam. And they're really upset. Petraeus said the quran burning planned for September 11th could give the Taliban the kind of anti-American propaganda they can exploit to turn fellow Afghans against the U.S. military. Yeah, Dave, you're right on. Jones has vowed, this is Wingnut Pastor Jones, has vowed to go forward with his plan to burn Korans. Despite public outcry, both locally and nationwide, he could not immediately be reached for comment. He's doing it, he said, because the Koran is of the devil, and he's part of the great American crusade against the devil. Hey, Jones, take a look in the mirror. See who's looking back. Notice the horns and the smoke? Well, Peter, uh, one thing that doesn't happen
1: along the... uh uh, the Labor Day weekend is, of course, the mail stops, but the mail has stopped long before because suddenly the trash is beginning to enter the house. After the bills, there's nothing but trash mail. I usually throw it out. Well, you you got to open it and look at it. Got two of these. Um, here's a photograph of a very nice house and a couple. They're obviously married. She's very conspicuously showing her hand with her. Uh, ring on it the guy is rather dark-skinned he has a beard he's balding he's wearing a nice sweater he's got a nice smile she's wearing a black something a robe and her her head is modest her hair is modestly covered she's wearing a veil
0: well not a veil no she's not, wearing not a veil headscarf. A,
1: a headscarf that's right. what she's wearing a headscarf this is an ad that came in the mail for sharia compliant home financing and peace of mind Oh, boy, wait, wait a minute. Sharia
0: compliance. Sharia compliance. If I com- remember correctly, Sharia law says no interest is allowed on loans. Well, well that seems to
1: way, be the way. Step one, the home buyer and guidance, that's the company, agree to be co-owners in the property. Step two, the two parties buy the home and the ownership in the property is determined by each party's down payment. Yeah. Step three, the home buyer makes monthly payments to guidance. Part of the payment is a utility fee for full use of the home, and the rest is a payment to increase the buyer's ownership in the property. Step four, over the course of time uh, the arran- uh, of the arrangement, the home-owned buyer purchases all of guidance ownership stake and becomes the sole owner of the property.
0: Ah, uh, a utility fee. A it's u- not it's, interest, it's, it's, it's a utility fee.
1: You know, it doesn't matter what you Ooh, call clever. it? Clever. Mm. I wonder if it came to me because
0: my name is Osmond. What? yeah, O S S M A N. I mean, you used to rule all the Muslims That's from right. here to there. The Ottoman Osmans. The Ottoman Empire. What else well, did you get? Those <laughs> weren't my guys.
1: They were they were ox herders from upper upper Flem Hoch Flem. Well, the other thing that came in is the 19 uh, the 2010 presidential survey from the Democratic National Committee. It uh, asks us to answer a number of questions. Uh, 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 How do you rate President Obama's performance in addressing the nation's economic situation? Well. uh, Well. How do you rate President Obama's performance regarding the passage of health insurance reform? Well. Well, well. How do you rate President Obama's performance regarding our nation's energy policies?
0: Well, yeah, it's okay. He's okay. He's uh, all right. Yeah, He's, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, the stimulus thing's got a lot to do with making energy better. So, well, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I'm not going to have you rate the, any, no, rate the president
1: anymore because no, well, we're coming down to the war in Afghanistan, uh, and I know we're going to zip out. So, section three is national priorities. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> America's economic situation.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a big deal. Stop yeah. sending me junk mails. is another one. Yeah, there's a good one. Regulation of financial
1: institutions and markets.
0: We'll talk more about that. Well, lowering unemployment. Sure, the lower the better. Dealing with Iran. Yeah, deal on, man. You know, I don't want no ambassador of death flying into my bedroom. Fighting terrorism. Um, there's a problem about that. That's the bugaboo, baby. We yeah, gotta you're dropping a... that down to 13 here. Way, way, War way. War in way Afghanistan, I know, is hitting the bottom there. Well, it is already at the bottom. You know, it's a mm-hmm. morass, baby. How are we going to get out of that one?
1: Well, at, uh, I mean, all of these are kind of the obvious issues. America's image in the world community, I figure that's a throwaway Ooh. there. Yeah, well, think?
0: it could go for a serious burnishing.
1: Yeah. Dealing with North Korea?
0: Who? <laughs> <laughs> Who? Who?
1: No, that's President Who. No, yeah, I, but, President... no he's on third. <laughs> I now, think wait, wait so. no, those are the ones with the nukes. Well, on the last page of this, that says, "Please tell us your thoughts about President Obama, the Democratic Party, and the issues our nation is facing." And Where
0: does it tell you to send them some right money? Right under that,
1: it's, twenty-five dollars. I prefer to charge my Visa, Mastercard, American Express, or Discover card. I prefer
0: to have them give me back my Visa and my Mastercard.
1: I, I would you pay for? Would you pay for anything for the government?
0: At 26% interest? I have already. (laughs) From the Gray Lady. Let's go to Thata Seal, Pakistan. When the governor of Punjab province arrived recently in this small town with truckloads of relief goods for flood victims, his visit was as much a political mission as a humanitarian one. His message to the hundred or so displaced people gathered under an awning was that the government was there for them. The people say this was an act of God, the governor, Salam Tahrir, said in an interview after reassuring the crowd. But what comes now, they say, is the act of man. If we don't deliver, they will not forgive us. After scathing criticism that they were unprepared for the disaster and inept in their initial response, government officials, ministers, and even President Asif al-Zadari are crisscrossing flood-affected areas of the country in a frantic effect to ease public anger and despair. Pakistani officials, diplomats, and aid workers warn that while civil unrest has so far been averted, the aftermath of the worst ever flooding in Pakistan could destabilize the country in the months to come and aggravate the already deep regional sectarian and class issues. Management of the disaster has added to the distrust that many Pakistanis already feel for their civilian political leaders, while the armed forces have burnished their image performing rescue and relief missions along the length of the flooded areas. You know, Pakistan has much more of a history with with military government and is now on the edge of a religious fundamental government, and they've got a civilian government that is inept and corrupt and clueless. There have been angry accusations from politicians and flood victims that officials have guided relief to their own party supporters, you think? And serious allegations that powerful landlords and politicians diverted surging floodwaters to protect their own lands at the expense of others. Man, if that's true, if they diverted the floods, (laughs) they're in for some serious reprisals. Most political commentators say the president and his government are safe for the time being. Oh, that's good news. Pakistan, full of nukes and Taliban and crazies, is safe for the time being. I'm living in the time being. If only because no one wants to take on the immense responsibilities of the crisis. And the main opposition leader, former uh, Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, does not appear ready to test his party in national elections. But the government, already saddled with severe economic and security problems, may not survive the large-scale social upheaval and long-term hardship from the floods, including a lack of housing, food shortages, and price spikes, officials, diplomats, and aid workers warned. Yeah, they say that in Karachi, inflation is just rampant. And it won't be long before they start beheading shopkeepers. You'll see. The floods have affected an estimated 20 million people, an eighth of the population. Millions of dollars' worth of crops and livestock have been lost. No region has escaped the destruction. Try and get a, get a, get a hold on that. One out of every five people on your block is homeless and devastated. That's where they're at, and it's all over the country. It's impossible for me to really grapple with it. I can just read it. The floods are still devouring villages and farmland in the southern province of Sindh and about 800,000 people remain stranded without food. Nearly 10 million people are considered short of food and their situation will remain precarious for six months to a year. People face a triple threat, loss of crops, loss of seed for the next planting season and loss of a daily income. The leader of one of the government's coalition partners, Altaf Hussein, who runs the Mutahida Kwarmi movement from London, suggested that patriotic generals should step in to lead the country in such a crisis, a reminder that he could cause the government to collapse if he chose to pull out of the coalition. And he's running it from London, where there are no floods and damn few food shortages, huh? One of the most angry accusations has come from Mir Zafarullah Khan Jamal, a former prime minister whose constituency in the province of Baluchistan has been almost totally inundated. Mr. Jamal criticized members of the government, accusing them of intentionally redirecting flood through Baluchistan and inundating the homes and farmlands of one million people in the country's poorest province. Along the length of the flood region through Punjab and Sindh provinces, displaced people said they expected little help would filter down to those who deserve it. The influential ones are getting all the money and the poor will get nothing, said Wazir Ali, 23, whose family was camping beside a road outside the town of Sukkar in Sindh. What's going to happen with Wazir Ali if he has no family and no food? What is he going to take up? What group under what black sword will he be serving? A farm laborer, Kaimdin, 50, said he feared going back to his village when the floods receded because the family would have nothing to eat. We will die of hunger, he said. We are very poor. He was not optimistic about government promises of assistance. We hope, but we will be sure of it only when we get it, he said. Yeah, well, good luck. I'm John McCain and I approve this message. <laughs>
1: Drug and human smuggling, home invasions, murder. We're outmanned. Of all the illegals in America, more than half come through Arizona. Have we got the right plan? plan's perfect. You bring troops, state, county, and local law enforcement together. And complete the dang fence. It'll work this time. Senator, you're you're one of us. Complete the dang fence. You're one of us. Complete the dang fence. You're one of us. Complete the
0: From Talking Points Memo. First, right-wingers reported Mexican drug cartels had invaded Laredo, Texas. Never mind that law enforcement says it never happened. Now, Arizona Pinal County Sheriff Paul Babo is lending the stamp of authority to the idea that the cartels are conquering parts of the red, white, and blue. Never mind that other law enforcement says it's not true. In a Washington Times article about recently erected signs warning citizens to be cautious of border crossers and smuggling activity in Arizona, which has Republicans like Governor Jan Brewer up in arms, Bobo delivered the news. Mexican drug cartels literally do control parts of Arizona, Babo told the Times. They literally have scouts on the high points in the mountains and in the hills, and they literally control movement. They have radios, they have optics, they have night vision goggles as good as anything law enforcement has. This is going on here in Arizona, he added. This is 70 to 80 miles from the border, 30 miles from the fifth largest city in the United States. As you may recall, Babo is the smooth-headed sheriff who appeared in Senator John McCain's Complete the Danged Fence campaign ad, which you just heard before this piece. He also made waves in August when he told CNS News in response to the Department of Justice's lawsuit against Arizona's controversial immigration law, our own government has become the enemy. Well, you know, it scares me when people with badges and guns tell me that our government has become our enemy. Uh, that does scare me. I don't like that at all. Sheriff Bobo's office did not return calls for comment, but the sheriffs of Santa Cruz and Pima counties, which actually border Mexico, unlike Babo's Pinal County, uh, said the cartels do not control any territory. I've seen just about everything, Santa Cruz County Sheriff Tony Estrada said, but what I've not seen is a beheading and I've not seen the cartels controlling American territory. Arizona, I mean, just what a haven for wingnuts. Hello, Ozzaneers, that's what I call the couple grand of you who every day download this show and put it in your ears. I have a favor, okay? I'm looking for some of you to help us promote Radio Free Oz on Twitter. This is one of the ways we're going to market this show and monetize it. We have just set up our new Twitter account. We'd love to connect with you. All you need to do is go to twitter.com slash oznetwork and click the follow button. See ya. This from Talking Points Memo. Things are really complicated in Afghanistan. Remember, we're talking about multi-tribal policy, Islam, Pashtuns versus non-Pashtuns. Uh, it Well, here it goes. An aide to Afghan President Hamid Karzai at the center of a corruption probe is on the CIA payroll, the New York Times reported, citing Afghan and U.S. officials. Mohammed Zia Salehi, an Afghan National Security Council official appears to have been paid by the U.S. spy agency for many years, officials in Kabul and Washington told The Times. The Times said it was unclear whether Salehi was being paid for information or to advance U.S. views inside the Karzai administration, or both, or neither, or one contradicting the other. Who knows? Salehi was arrested by Afghan police in July but released after Karzai intervened. They're buds. Salehi's relationship with the CIA underscores deep contradictions at the heart of the Obama administration's policy in Afghanistan, uh, the newspaper said. Karzai is under pressure from the Obama administration to do more to root out corruption in his government to shore up the legitimacy of the government. Well, if Karzai is going to root out corruption, he's going to basically have to fire himself and his brother, that dope-dealing scum down in Kandahar, immediately. That doesn't help anybody, does it? Washington believes a successful counterinsurgency strategy in Afghanistan hinges on winning Afghan public support for the government in Kabul and sidelining the Taliban. Dream on. Hearts and minds, they're not available. It's a winless situation. It's a quagmire. It's killing us.
1: Well, you know, there are um, statistics in the New York Times all the time. These kind of, uh, they're not always on the op-ed page, but this one was. And I thought I'd just give you a little hint as to what the, uh, um, you know, the the polls are saying out there. 65% of Americans say that religion is an important part of their daily lives. Let me repeat that. 65%. That's tr-
0: that's terrific. I mean, in terms of numbers, that makes us a very, very religious nation.
1: Absolutely. That is compared with 30% of the French, 27% of the british 24 percent of the japanese
0: uh-huh. now, and the italians are probably way down there.
1: well on the on the on the scale of po- poor countries being most religious they in fact are including indonesia thailand tunisia malaysia india obviously a the hugely all, religious all, yes, country yeah. but the united states is the most religious country I- in the world that is a has a hugely developed economy. Everybody else is like Argentina and Italy and Greece. These you know, they're not doing so well.
0: Here. No, look at us. Oh my, oh my, that's amazing.
1: So we're we just, are the richest just... country and one of the most religious in your daily life, whatever that means. In and we're, and we're paying
0: dearly for it in some ways. I mean, nothing. the two things I fear, Dave, I fear this mixture of religion and politics, I tell you. By the way, I found out Glenn Beck is a Mormon, so that completely confuses me exactly where he's coming from. That's all right. And, and then the other thing that bothers me, all these mercenaries that we're hiring, hundreds of thousands of them, if you look at it, what are they going to do when they come back? They've only got one skill.
1: They do, and that—that that is really scary. Where we have—it isn't just bad enough to train murderous youth to go out in, in combat, which is one sort of training warfare. It's another thing to hire. Though you know where it is. Hey, guys out there, join me in this thought. It's the CIA. The CIA in bed with Blackwater and And all of these mercenary people, these assets they are completely out of control. There's no question that the CIA is running as far as I can see, everything it, behind the army, they're just shooting and dying. Behind the State Department, they're just going, into high President Karzai, you, are, you have, how much have you stolen today, sir? I'm very good. Come
0: on. I mean, it's the CIA. Unregulated. You know that they haven't had an inspector general. I did a piece on this. Yeah. For 17 months, they only have one person that can do actual investigations of what they're up to. And for 17 months, he hasn't even been nominated by Obama, and we don't know how long it's going to take to get through. And what does the Obama administration say? Yes, when please. they say, uh, right. you know, we're, we're, we're worried about this. The guy from the Bush administration saying Maru yeah. worried about the fact that a lot of this stuff they're doing is is not being regulated and and goes against humanitarian laws and various other stuff. Trust me, basically trust me. We're the ones that are stopping torturing and we're going to close Guantanamo. So trust me. No, no, I don't trust no, you. It's the the CIA is a clear and present danger
1: to the American democracy to, and must
0: be shrunk if we are to survive as that democracy.
1: And if they're all. Heavily religious. It's Uh, even a worse problem. uh, So,
0: who knows? 65% of them?
1: uh, Every day. I don't want to think about it. No, okay.
0: I just did. (laughs) So, all the pundits and all the polls tell us we're going to see a whole lot fewer Democrats in the Congress after the midterm elections. If the Dems are reduced to slim margins in both houses, then there will have to be a whole new game plan laid down by Pelosi and Reid. It's all going to have to be done by reconciliation. 51% does it. We'll be facing a 30s-style depression wearing a different style of glad rags. You don't have to be camera center in a Walker Evans photograph to be a player in the New Depression. And while we're waiting for the stimulus economy to kick in, we're going to have to find a way to support the families and individuals who are caught in the changeover. The Republicans haven't a clue, because they've given up the hard work of planning for and working towards the betterment of the Commonwealth. It will get real bad, real soon, after the midterms. And suddenly, everyone will be looking for some way to get through the transition from a totally unsustainable lifestyle to something that works. No easy transition, but sitting around blaming the not me is not going to do it. Being clever about how to get by with less, grow or make your own, bring people together, get off the grid, whatever, is going to get really sexy. Can't say I can hardly wait, because I'm hardly going to have to wait for this to happen.
2: The wrong way when you're gonna learn when your tears are falling sideways. You can't win at the game of love, so you think you're gonna talk about your sorrow. You decide you better wait till tomorrow, cause ain't, ain't nothing you can borrow. Gonna have you win at the game of love. Everything the whole wide world always turns out the same It might look like a brand new day But it's the same old game Down on your knees Trying to romance her But you might as well Be a necromancer Everybody knows the answer How to win at the game
1: This is Gary Buzzcutt, Tea Party candidate for Senator. Between my well-paid clandestine missions, people, some of them probably Russian spies, ask me why should I vote for a former CIA op? Here's why. Because I'm a trained, professional American asshole. I get off on danger, violence, and covert action. I've paid off warlords and defused roadside bombs. I've told them we should execute the Guantanamo guys... And I know from personal experience that torture works very, very well. I had bin Laden trapped in his cave, but the general wouldn't send in the rangers, the shitbag. So if you want a blunt, confrontational, aggressive commando with an addiction to adrenaline down in Washington, get out the vote for me, Gary Buzzcut. I'm no cartoon hero. (laughs) Heh. And I've got nothing to
0: lose. Paid for by the Committee for a Compassion-Free America.
1: I'm Gary Buzzcutt, and I've okayed this mission. From the New
0: York Times. When Congress passed a new financial regulation bill last month, it sought to prevent federally insured banks from making speculative bets using their own money. But that will not stop banks from making bets that some critics deem risky, even as the rules go into effect over the next few years. This is because many such bets on the direction of the stock market, or the price of coal, for example, are done on behalf of clients. So the banks say they will continue to be allowable despite the new restrictions. Indeed, several trades that were made on behalf of clients went bad for the banks, even as the new rules were being debated in Washington this year. J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs of crap, for example, each lost more than $100 million on transactions handled for customers in the period from April to July. Blow-ups like these, only larger, contributed to the financial crisis and forced the federal government to spend billions of dollars to bail out financial institutions. Yet analysts are quick to point out that many of these transactions were handled by the banks ostensibly to serve clients. You can use client activity as a cover for basically anything you are doing, said Janet Tavacoli, who runs her own structured finance consulting firm. It's very problematic that losses like this are showing up. It's a prime example of what the financial reform bill doesn't address. That ambiguity could have broad consequences for the future of trading on Wall Street. So we come out of corruption and crisis, and we're moving into ambiguity. Because the banks have ways of getting around all of this. So we're going to have to get around the banks somehow. Given the size of the banks, these recent losses are relatively small. But they highlight how banks will continue to be able to make bets where their own money is at risk, a practice that has yielded huge profits on Wall Street in recent years. Though these trades were made on behalf of clients, they subjected the banks to the kind of risk that Congress sought to curtail when it devised the Volcker Rule, which banned banks from speculating with their own money. That practice is known as proprietary trading. Even before the new rules were passed, Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan began dismantling their standalone prop desks and shifting those traders into client-related businesses. Goldman is considering changes that could turn some of its star proprietary traders into asset managers who rely on capital from outside investors. But for all the talk of shutting down trading desks and reassigning employees to prepare for the Volcker Rule, proprietary-style trading will probably survive if under a different name. This year, for example, several large insurance companies approached Goldman Sachs looking to bet that the markets would not stay quiet. Goldman gladly took the other side of the trades, but when the markets turned choppy in May, the firm was caught short and quickly lost $250 million. Excuse me. What are insurance companies doing with insurance policy money, which is supposed to be conservatively handled and there when you die or lose a leg or whatever? What are they doing betting on the volatility of the market? This is insane. Goldman, through a spokesman, declined to comment on its losses on that investment. But in a conference call with analysts last month, the bank's chief financial officer, David Viniar, explained, We didn't hedge it fast enough. Things spiked really dramatically, really fast. What bullshit. Months before the trade, though, Goldman Sachs' research Department, named a bet against volatility as one of its top 10 trading strategies for 2010, and the mumsers who bet with him went along. Goldman followed its own advice and put its own money in play by failing to adequately hedge the trade with the client who wanted to bet on volatility, which would have given Goldman a neutral position. In this way, a client-oriented trade can effectively become a proprietary bet. But Goldman is hardly unique when it comes to walking the fine line between serving clients and taking positions. Late last year, with clients eager to bet that coal prices would rise, J.P. Morgan took the other side of the trade and amassed contracts on hundreds of millions of dollars on coal, enough to dominate the European market. This is good. This is good. The banks are making bets large enough to control a major energy supply of, you know, major allies. Oh, this is good. Initially, the trade went J.P. Morgan's way and yielded profits, but in April, the Morgan's traders were caught off guard when European coal futures abruptly started rising. In fact, the wrong-sided bets erased all of the previous gains, and by the middle of June, it had turned into one of the commodities unit's biggest losses, nearly $130 million. J.P. Morgan would not disclose the names of the clients and would not comment for this article, but in an internal conference call, Blythe Masters, who oversees the commodities unit, said that the bank made an error in judgment, taking a risk on its own behalf. Oh, thank you, Blythe. Thank you for the mea culpa. Now that the money's out the door. We made a bit of a rookie error, she said, according to parts of a recording first published by Bloomberg News. We got overexposed in the market and made ourselves vulnerable to a squeeze." Let me tell you something, Blythe, you are not my main squeeze, not by any account.
1: Well, Peter, I know that often when I come in with an obit, you know, people's eyes glaze over. I never heard of that person. He's 117 years old. Well, this guy was 93, and you may not have heard of him, but you heard him. This is an author named Jackson Gillis. Never heard of him. Died at 93 years old. And uh, his background was, well, he acted after college, worked at the uh, um, uh, the Barter Theater in Virginia at the same time as Gregory Peck. Mm-hmm. And uh, his daughter tells the story that uh, one play he did was by George Bernard Shaw, who came to see the play and sent him a postcard afterward, criticizing his exit.
0: Hmm. Good.
1: I have the postcard, she says. Well, Mr. Gillis started to write after uh, after he was in the Army. He came back to L.A. and he started to write for radio. And he wrote episodes of The Whistler and Let George Do It. And then he moved on to television with a show called I'm the Law with George Raft as a New York City cop. And then he went on to The Adventures of Superman. Are you getting a career arc here out of this guy? Then he moved on to Lassie. On to Perry Mason, wrote years and years of Perry Mason. The Mickey Mouse Club, this guy wrote for. He wrote for Superman. He wrote for Lassie. He wrote for Racket Squad, Sugarfoot, The Fugitive Lost in Space, The Wild Wild West, Mission Impossible, Mannix, The Mod Squad, Bonanza, Ironside, Land of the Giants, Hawaii Five-0, Medical Center, Starsky and Hutch, Police, women, and murder, she wrote. That's just probably skimming the surface. So his daughter tells a little story about him, how his typewriter went rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat as she was growing up. But she said, well, he he wasn't much impressed by the business. He didn't watch much television himself. He watched football, she said. He thought most of what was on TV was junk. Well,
0: the junk man goeth.
1: This looks like a microcosm of America to me.
0: This is out of Politico and written by Stephen R. Weissman, who's a former staff director of the House Africa Subcommittee. The semi-independent inspector general of the Central Intelligence Agency is virtually the only U.S. government official who conducts on-the-ground investigations of covert operations. After a 17-month delay, President Barack Obama has finally nominated a veteran government investigator, David B. Buckley, as the next IG. The Senate should respond quickly, emphasizing that review of secret programs remains a top IG priority. The Intelligence Committee must also press for responsible public disclosure of critical IG reports to help build a political constituency for corrective action. This issue is urgent. Credible outside observers have been warning that current U.S policy is failing to achieve a proper balance among its goals of taking down terrorists, upholding international humanitarian law, and using diplomacy to build friendships and discourage terrorist recruitment. This is a serious issue. He's got it right on the nose. We are so busy taking down terrorists and everybody that shops with them, lives with them, or even walks by them carrying a TV camera, that we are alienating nations because we are contravening our own uh, commitment to international humanitarian law, and it's ruining our diplomacy, and it is indeed turning people into Taliban. The U.N. Special Rapporteur of Extrajudicial Executions recently criticized Washington for violating international law in CIA and military-targeted killings of suspected terrorists outside war theaters in Iraq and Afghanistan. He characterized these openly acknowledged stealth operations as a vaguely defined license to kill and questioned the absence of known safeguards for legality and accuracy. With specific regard for CIA drone strikes in Pakistan, a former CIA legislative counsel under George W. Bush told a House Oversight and Government Reform Subcommittee, there is an acute need for an independent authority to review actions and issue public reports to check against abuses. You betcha. The Obama administration's response to all of this has been, trust us. Well, you know what? I don't. After all, this is an administration that stopped interrogations that involved torture and took steps towards closing Guantanamo prison, which of course is still open. So yeah, I'll give them their creds, but I don't trust them about drones. They are indeed the kings of drone. The State Department legal advisor, Harold Koh, assures us that Escalating drone killings are conducted with great care to ensure that only legitimate objectives are targeted and that collateral damage is kept to a minimum. Sleazy weasel. CIA Director Leon Panetta vo- vows to press to make sure that alleged terrorists subjected to the continuing program of extraordinary rendition to abuse of third countries won't be mistreated. Wait a minute. How can you... How can you render a suspected terrorist, right, to abusive third countries and guarantee they won't be mistreated? Who are you blowing smoke up? What But, Mr. Panetta, yet history shows that hard-to-detect CIA operations against suspect individuals tend to develop an organizational momentum that carries them well beyond legal and diplomatic limits and beyond executive and congressional controls. Drone them all. Let Allah sort them out. Well, I think it's
1: uh, time for me to bookend the Iraq War um, since... It's supposed to be over, at least uh, it's now called, uh, what is it called, Operation New Dawn. I think I just used that in my dishwasher. Well, the war started in 2003, and this is the, the poem that I wrote on the occasion of the first five days of war, on the last five days of winter. It starts with a little quote from Anonymous. Spring talks like a bird this morning. We must get stoned for the war. 1. On the first day of war, clowns could still laugh just in time. There were still 48 hours, and the plums and cherry trees would still be shedding petals, as that cowboy says, Get out of town! Whole nations are ready to fall like flesh-pink petals on the streets of Alibaba. 2. The second night of war. The full moon exposes the bay and flies on. The orange alert pulses in its safe place. Navy aircraft pass over in the night again. And the rustling of forces, their distant quarter million all ears in the night. The bad daddies more awake than all of Los Angeles. The big man's clock ticks blindly. On past twenty-four, and you can hear the earthquake's mumble of bombs tuned in and excited to be moving, heroes strive to be born and smoke or talk of targets like boxes of chocolates to be eaten, this palace, that bonbon, this garden, those thin mints and sour cherries, and all the time I hear the children run, I can hear the children running, Three. The third day begins with sand blowing in the wind. Later, Preston comes out yelling, It says war alert! It isn't Samurai Jack! Instead, it's the world's most dangerous man who's starting the war now in front of us because they have fearless leader in their sights. It's go, and the Valley of Babylon displays its millions of jewels under the yellow lamps, on a slippery Euphrates night. 4. Our ears are shut on the fourth day of war. We aren't listening, and there's no information. We have no opinion. We aren't listening. 5. Headlines at 7 on the fifth day. The masters of war seem to hold back our Bible-sized monsters, mothers of all shock and awe, and target their telephones, monsters of evil targeted as they're chatting on the verge. Embedded safely down, we say... It's just like taking out, say, Shrine Auditorium or just the Kodak with some Grauman's Chinese collateral, only City Hall or the D.C. Mall and on to where their bully gates seal off their comfort zones. When do we send in Gog and Magog? Or is the Garden of
0: Eden not the place? Hope Springs Eternal one of the architects of Barack Obama's successful 2008 presidential campaign is saying that Democrats can maintain control of Congress in this fall's midterm elections in a battle against a craven, crass GOP. Former campaign manager David Plouffe said as long as Democrats focus on making each election a choice between candidates on a local level and get Democratic voters to the polls, the majority party will stay that way. Yeah. If we can get the Dems to the polls, I tell you, there is so much lethargy out there. There There's so many people that are saying, well, I voted for him and it was very inspirational, but I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. And if you don't vote, you're going to know a whole lot less. He added that Republicans have been craven and crass in basing their actions in effective politics, not good policy. and That they have yet to give the American people a compelling reason to change their votes. We can maintain control in both chambers if we make this a choice between two people in districts and states, and we have to make sure Democratic turnout jumps up, Plouffe said on NBC's Meet the Press. He dismissed the idea that the GOP could win the Senate. In the Senate, they'd have to run the table, and I don't see any evidence of that, Plouffe said. We have people running strong campaigns. Plouffe said this country's got deep challenges, but opportunities too. And rather than participate in trying to move this country forward, the Republicans in a very craven, Crassway are playing short-term politics. We're going to have a tough election this November and I think it can be better than people think. But I think the long-term damage the Republican Party is doing is profound. Radio Free Oz winding down. Actually, as above, so below, it's actually winding up for tomorrow. You know, just hitting that little dip and up we go. Fall is like that way. Things begin to die, you know. They do. The leaves are are turning.
1: The leaves are turning and they're falling down. Well, they were much doing the same thing back in the 8th century, no doubt. Tufu knew all about it Tufu did know And this is the third of five poems On the autumn fields Music and ceremony to correct my faults Mountains and forests to addle me with joy I nod till my silk cap starts to slide off The sun that warms my back brightens my bamboo book When the fall wind knocks down pine cones, I gather them. When the weather turns cold, I open the hives to collect the honey. A few last flowers here and there. I stop to inhale their
0: fragrance. Oh, I'm addled. I'm (laughs) addled by the fragrance. Radio Free Oz. We're up on RadioFreeOz.com. Please come up and... Give us a listen. Uh, put us addle a, you. Yes, put a little <laughs> comment up there. Yesterday I did the Oz team. I didn't mention Chaz Glass, the man that makes all the numbers work, and John Cummings, who make sure we get it right. Uh, Radio Free Oz. See you all tomorrow.